2: This is the best of OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Appreciate all of you joining us here on a Thursday morning. A lot of you starting to drop out of the workforce as it gets closer and closer to Christmas. Uh, I hope all of you have got your shopping done. I was at the mall last night and it was an absolute zoo. Uh, So, uh, as closer you get to Christmas Day, the wilder it gets anywhere near the mall or a major shopping area. So, uh, good luck in that regard. Um, We have talked a lot on this show about the allegations against Jerry Richardson, the Carolina Panthers owner who is now being forced to effectively sell the team. He's basically trying to get ahead of the demands that he sell a team. Almost as soon as these allegations went public he made the decision to sell the uh, the football team that he has owned since the Carolina Panthers became a franchise in Charlotte. And so as a result, this was a um, really kind of interesting situation in general because we still don't know exactly what's true. And like we've had some fun on this show with the allegations because they're so patently absurd, right? The fact that he wants to allegedly shave a woman's legs or that he uh, would have uh, women come to his suite at the Carolina Panthers football stadium and massage his feet or make comments about women in a uh, in their jeans and how tight they were or buckle their seat belts. All those things uh, are discussed as allegations in the SI article that we then referenced and talked about on here. Well, I said at the time, and I, I stand by this, we live in a world where allegations frequently become accepted as truths and one reason we live in the world where allegations are accepted as truths is because by and large it's a lot easier to not stand up and say hey guys remember these are just allegations because if you do that the mob can turn its attention onto you and i do think it's interesting to think about in a social media era how frequently we anticipate and expect that everybody should end up with the same opinion. And if you're the lone voice of dissent, frequently the mob will turn its attention on you and envelop you as well. I say all that as a prelude to this. Cam Newton defended Jerry Richardson pretty decently yesterday. And Cam Newton didn't have to do that. The easiest thing that Cam Newton could have done... Was just say, well, those allegations are really serious, and uh, I think Jerry Richardson made the appropriate decision to sell the franchise. But I don't believe Cam Newton said that. I got into the off- got into uh, the office, got into the studio today, and the guys back in LA said, "You need to hear what Cam Newton said." Cause it's not going to get a lot of tension, probably, because uh, it's not part of the larger mob going after Jerry Richardson. And so I want to play Cam Newton's comments when he was asked about the Jerry Richardson situation. By the way, Cam also had some fun with the Christian McCaffrey uh, play. If you don't remember that play, we played it for you, I think on Monday, uh, where Cam Newton, you can hear Clay Matthews calling out that Christian McCaffrey is going to be running a wheel route. And Cam Newton uh, says, oh, you've been studying film, right? And then it's a different route. It's a little bit of a uh, like a little slant over the middle there. And they hit him for a touchdown, Christian McCaffrey. Um, And so, would we still have that audio? We may still have that audio too, but I bet we have audio of Cam Newton talking about Christian McCaffrey as well. But I wanted to play for you uh, Cam Newton talking about his owner, Jerry Richardson.
0: Having a person of influence, you know, a person, you know, with so much responsibility, you always are set to a higher standard. No doubt about it. But in this day and time, it's almost you're automatically guilty until proven innocent. Rather than in the the rights of your judicial system, you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. Everything that I've heard were allegations, and um, you know nothing nothing was um, actually proven. You know it's just of another person's word versus that person's word. But needless to say, man, I still think extremely highly of Mr. Richardson. Uh, I don't even know none of the sources, what none of the sources' names have have came out. So I really don't, you know, kind of, you know, reaching to to, to find it. But, you know, like I said, I take sexual assault extremely serious. And, um, you know, I didn't want to offend anybody by that. But, you know, just having, you know, a a lot of allegations thrown at a person, you know, I don't think that's fair.
2: That's uh, pretty strong from Cam. In a world, and I got to give him credit for this, because there are a lot of people out there that are quick to run from their friends when something bad is alleged against them in public. Not very many people want to stand up because they're afraid the taint of the allegation associated with them is going to find them as well. And we live in an era, it's no doubt it's true, where the minute you are accused of something, it is presumed to be true. And if Jerry Richardson is 100% innocent of all these allegations, then his name has been unfairly attacked. I mean, I sat down with my wife uh, a couple weeks ago and I said, look, we have moved, just so you know, uh, in the world of sports and beyond, we have moved from an era when evidently this used to be the era, I don't think that I benefited from it very much, but an era where A guy is always true, telling the truth, right? Nobody believes the girl. I don't really think I grew up in much of that era, but evidently that era used to be true. And now we've moved into an era where as soon as a woman accuses a man of something, whether it's in Hollywood, whether it's in athletics, whether it is in uh, media, wherever it is, then it's presumed to be true. And everybody runs from that person. And that's not justice. Justice is not swinging from this guy is telling the truth because he's a man and this woman is lying because she's a woman to this guy is lying because he's a man and this woman is telling the truth because she's a woman. We have swung, it seems to me, in a social media era from one extreme to another, from the extreme of women are always exaggerating and lying in situations like these of sexual assault or sexual harassment to men are always guilty and neither of those is an accurate or reflective place for where we should be and I'm quite confident that there are going to be men who are accused of inappropriate behavior that have done nothing at all so I actually want to applaud Cam Newton for having the 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 bravery to step forward and say something other than what everybody else expected him to say and by the way this is not the first time Cam Newton has done this. I think last year, if you guys remember, during there were some riots in Charlotte over the shooting of a, of a guy uh, by a police officer. And I, if I remember correctly, I think it was a black guy shot by a black police officer, if I remember correctly. And I could be wrong. I'm not an expert in all these uh, controversies that have arisen. But Cam Newton did not speak out in a way that would have encouraged further rioting that would have encouraged further uh, bloodshed, he actually, I thought, spoke incredibly eloquently about the need for calm in the city of Charlotte. And uh, and he got criticized for it because the easiest thing to do would have been to pile on with the mob. So I actually want to applaud Cam Newton here for having the uh, decency to stand up for his friend and point out, hey, these are allegations and I don't think it's fair that the guy has been incredibly tarred just by the accusations I think he's right and uh, I think a lot of people are going to miss this because if Cam Newton had piled on and criticized Jerry Richards into the high heavens it would have been a major story everybody would have picked it up instead here he's saying what's probably the unpopular thing certainly what's the more challenging thing to say and uh, and I got to give him credit for it. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Peter Schrager from the NFL Network, as well as Fox Sports joining us now. Schrages, uh be honest. As the season comes to a close, are you just on fumes at this point from traveling, from getting up so early in the morning? Is part of you kind of excited for when there are fewer games and you don't have to keep up with as many storylines?
1: I don't mind the storylines as much, but I wouldn't be lying if I if, if I don't look forward to the season almost like a, at the end of the tunnel, but it's not the end of the regular season, it's the end of the Super Bowl for me. It's like that yeah. is just get to that point. But you're right, it's five days a week up at four in the morning every or three thirty in the morning and then it's on the weekends I'm doing the sidelines, so it's a lot but I find myself on Sundays when I'm on those sidelines having a ball and feeling the energy. It's kind of like you're just running on adrenaline at this point.
2: All right. So, uh, you guys have a great show uh, on the NFL Network. It airs a lot of times, same time as this. I'm sure people watch uh, it a lot. It's done very well. I feel like you guys don't get as much credit as you should for putting on a good show that produces a big audience compared to a lot of other shows that don't do either of those things. How gratifying is it now that you're in, I think, your second year on that show? How much fun do you guys have?
1: It's funny because you're you're saying that and it's so true. Like They're talking about this new ESPN show and it's going to be like uh, Good Morning America, but for sports and Mike Greenberg getting paid $6 million and all this stuff (laughs) and it's like you we know, we don't, we, there's four of us. We actually really like each other. We're on in the morning. I think we're doing a great job, and the response on Twitter is insane, and guests want to come on, and I go to these NFL facilities, and literally the general manager, the coach, the quarterback, are like, we watch the show in the morning. So that's where the reward is. But, yeah, there, there's not going to be a Richard Deitch column on our on our show, and I don't think John Orand and uh, Jim Miller are doing a podcast about the success of Good Morning Football. And I think a lot of that is just we keep our head down, and We do our job. We come to work every day, and I think we're cool with that. We don't necessarily get the, uh, the media attention that a Jameel Hill or Michael Smith or whatever the other shows are that seem to be part of an apparatus of, you know, let's, let's, let's get, get big promotion around the show. Ours is more, let's just have fun, and if you're in, good, and if you're not, don't. But uh, second year in, and we absolutely love coming to work every morning, which is basically the, the greatest reward of,
2: of this job. What do you think happens in the NFC with the wild card race? All right, so the NFC South, it's coming down to Carolina, Atlanta, and New Orleans. If you were predicting right now, what's the result of the final two weeks and what happens in the NFC South? Do they get all of the wild card spots as well as their division champ? Do three of the four in the NFC South get in, or do you think the the, the Lions or the, the the Cowboys, I would probably say, are the two best teams in terms of getting to ten and six? Do you think either of those teams get in?
1: Well, the Buccaneers are the wild-card team here because the Buccaneers can play ultimate spoiler, and they have shown no, no, no version of themselves that would prove that they can do that because both the Saints and the Panthers play the Bucs in the next two weeks. Um, if any of those teams lose out and the, and the Lions win out, the Lions find their way into the playoffs. So that's the key one there. But to me, the biggest, the biggest thing with the NFC South is this weekend, and I cannot wait for this Saints-Falcons game. The Saints have looked like uh Gangbusters most of the season but Falcons beat them and you know Sean Payton had, had had the the penalty at the end of the game for an unsportsmanlike and that was in Atlanta now it goes to New Orleans and everyone's got the Saints winning they're a big 6-point favorite I have been around the Falcons team enough over the last 3 years with Dan Quinn that I can promise you Clay the Falcons will give them a great game on Sunday and if anything the Falcons are going to come out punching I I might take the Falcons straight up in that one, and if that's the case, then everything gets thrown into upheaval. And the biggest loss to me, Seahawks going down to Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago, an out-of-conference game, and losing that one. Because if you win that one, you then have the edge, and you can withstand a loss to the Rams like they took last week, win out and be okay. But now Seattle looks like they're on the outside looking in.
2: Does Seattle have long-term structural problems? because of the way they've performed this year, it seems like the defense has... There's been that long tension of, is this Russell Wilson's team, or is this the Seattle Legion of Booms defensive team? Do you buy into the idea that there's tension there, and at some point they have to make a decision about what the future trajectory of this team is? Is Russell yeah. Wilson going to be the leader of the defense?
1: No, I mean, I mean look, Russell Wilson's going to be there, whether everyone else is, is the question. They also made two moves that didn't get a lot, of, a lot of buzz this year, but they traded draft picks to get Dwayne Brown and to get Sheldon Richardson basically saying we're all in. like we're taking, we're taking big veteran contracts and we're going to be willing to pay them and we want these guys, and it hasn't worked out. I mean, to lose the way they lost to the Rams at home last week and then to have some no-name players try to get into a scrape at the end of the game, it was almost like, this is not how the Legion of Boom was supposed to end their reign. Like this wasn't guys that you've never heard of being the ones fighting Aaron Donald and whoever else. Um, I, I don't see how they can bring the current version of this team back next year and expect to be any more competitive than they were this year. Uh, you look at the numbers, Cliff Averill's 32 years old, you know, Cam Chancellor's 32 years old, a neck injury, Richard Sherman. I don't know many guys who recover and are better after an Achilles injury after the age of 30. So it, it's it's, you know, a lot of people – have said that you know it's the heart of the champion and Pete will find a way and what they do best is find new players. A lot of other people are saying, look, there's a lot of big personalities in that locker room. You're just getting blown out by the Seahawks and the Rams, and now you've got to come off an injury and try to regroup in August. I'm just not sure they can light that fire again.
2: What do you think about the job? Speaking of the Seahawks, the team in the NFC West that's done phenomenally this year is obviously the Rams and Sean McVay. Where does Sean McVay's coaching job this year rank all-time? Because, I mean, I think if you had told people coming into this season the Rams are going to be 10-4 and headed into the final two weeks of the season and they're going to win the NFC West outright, they would have told you you were insane. And it's not just that they've won. It's that they look like a totally different team. Where does his performance this year rank, in your mind, almost on an all-time list of coaching impacts?
1: Well, full disclosure, Sean's been a good friend of mine for, I don't know, five years now since he got to Washington. uh, We've been pretty close. So I'm proud of of seeing his success, and I can tell you even he, I think, would be, in a moment of honesty, would tell you that he's uh, surpassed expectations. How does it rank all time? I'm not sure he's the coach of the year. I look at what Doug Marone did in Jacksonville, and I think that's even more impressive that the Jaguars, who have been this moribund franchise that continues to swing and miss with players, Found a way to put it together, and I look at Doug Peterson in Philly. That was not supposed to be a twelve and two team. Um, and if you want to go one more, Mike Zimmer lost uh, two quarterbacks and the star running back before Week Four, and is now you know twelve and two or eleven and three. Whatever. There's been several different coaching uh, dynamic performances. I think McVay is the coach of the year when it's all said and done, just because of the rapid turnaround. And Clay, I know you'll appreciate this as a Nashville guy. Listen to this. The top three quarterbacks in the NFL right now, in the NFC right now, the top three seeds, you know who they are? It is right now Jared Goff for the three-seeded you know, Los Angeles Rams. Number two seed is the Vikings, Case Keenum. And number one seed is the Eagles, led by Nick Foles. All three of those quarterbacks played for Jeff Fisher within the last two years.
2: Yeah, that's pretty amazing. They were all on the Rams roster, right, with Jeff Fisher, yeah. and now they're all three, the one, two, three. Okay, you just laid out one, two, three. Are you buying into any of those guys as Super no. Bowl contenders?
1: No. I, I mean, yes. The Super Bowl contenders, sure. They have to be. But, like, am I buying in? Am I putting my mortgage up with any of those teams? No, because very likely teams 4, 5, 6 are going to be led by Drew Brees, who's a Super Bowl MVP and an MVP, Cam Newton, who's an MVP who won 15 and won two years ago, and Matt Ryan, who won the MVP last year in a playoff game. A lot of times, I'll take the history over the hot player, because a lot of times it's experience in the playoffs. So, those three places to play are tough. Like, I don't think anyone wants to go to Minnesota in that dome. I don't think anyone wants to go uh, necessarily to Philadelphia in the outside. But in L.A., I'm not sure. Drew Brees or Matt Ryan or Cam Newton are shaking in their boots about going to L.A. and
2: playing the Rams. Do you think that there is any way the Jags can contend for the Super Bowl in a legitimate fashion? That is go. Like if the Jags actually went to the Super Bowl, how stunned would you be over both the Patriots and the Steelers?
1: Really surprised because I've never seen Blake Bortles, whether it be college or the NFL, in a big spot. You know, have to lead his team in cold weather, down seven with two minutes left. Like he's never. I mean, UCF he was a good quarterback on a on a decent team, but the Jaguars have never been good under him. And I just, you know, to think about Brady and Roethlisberger and cold weather environment and going back and forth, and then Bortles having to answer the call three times. You know, I just don't see it. Um, but that said, the defense is so good, and they've got so much. I hate using the word swagger. I almost sound like corny when I say, it, but they've got so much swagger and so much belief in themselves that I wouldn't be shocked if the, if they gave those teams battles. I just, it's just not yet. Like I feel like in the NFL, there's a pecking order, and you gotta take a couple flags first and then break through. I just don't see them upsetting the Patriots or the Steelers in a playoff game.
2: I don't know what's going on with this story, and I'm curious if you guys have spent any time on it or if you've spent any time personally with it. New England? What
1: are we dealing with? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. This New England, uh, this personal trainer thing with Tom Brady, Belichick. Obviously, Brady and Belichick are huge stories in general, and the fact that there might be any tension between the two of them is going to get a lot more attention than almost any other story that could exist in the NFL on an interpersonal relationship basis. Is there anything to this you think, or is it a total smoke screen, like totally exaggerated? What's the story here?
1: Well, look, this is this could you could do a thirty for thirty on the Alex Guerrero, uh, you know, Tom Brady, T B twelve stuff. This is many years in the making. Brady has his own personal guy and this is he credits his entire turnaround of his career. And if not turnaround, the legacy and the ability to to stay in the shape that he has to this guy. Now, what they did was they gave him a facility on kind of the Patriots campus, where it's up there in Foxborough, and it's right there. You can go walk and see it. It's called the TB12 thing, and it's kind of his offices. What is getting a little hairy is where does his jurisdiction um, go, and where does it end, and where do the Patriots medical staff, and for years they've coexisted in kind of a way of like a, not a wink-wink way, but almost like, all right, that's Tom's stuff, and a couple of players are going to go to him for consulting. But something happened, I guess, recently where they're saying, hey, okay, we got to have some clear lines. He can't come on the team plane, can't come on the sidelines. And I don't know what the genesis of that is. There are several stories out there about it. Um, but that is the case with any team when the player comes in and says, I want my own guy. I remember the tension, and I hate to deflect and talk about something else. I remember the tension a couple of years ago when Blake Bortles had a quarterbacks coach and an offensive coordinator said I'm bringing my own quarterback guy into the facility, let's work out together. There was, you know, obviously it's not a threat, but people say, "Okay, well, I guess ours isn't good enough or that's going to be your own thing." The stuff with the New England situation gets a little different cuz it's in the the health of the players and the medical status of players and when you're, you know, not doing the everything everybody's not on the same page or not everybody's on the same board and it's not all being transparent necessarily of what's going into every player, it it just becomes almost more of a headache. So I don't think there's anything nefarious about what's going on with Brady and his dude, but I also think any time the star player, the greatest of all time, is being told no after something was being told yes for so long, it is news.
2: Is it, is it boring to you? Last question for you because I know you got to go to your show. Is it surprising, I should say, maybe more so, that every time Tom Brady has a game that's not perfect right now, the immediate response is he's too old and he's done?
1: Yeah, but at some point he will be too old and be done, right? Like, that's the thing. Like, I I, I said it this year when they – I didn't say it about Brady because he's unbelievable, but the Patriots, they've got – you know, the Panthers put up, like, 34 points on them in Foxborough. And I said, yeah. so guys, like, at some point you lose Chandler Jones and you lose, uh, you know, all these different players and Logan Ryan, they're good players. Like, at some point your team just isn't as good anymore. Look at the Seahawks right now. Um, but they have proved me wrong literally ten times, like, going back the last five years. So – whether it be that Chiefs Monday night game that everyone laughs about on the Cincinnati, I was one of them who was like, it's it's okay. Like, it's all right for dynasties to end. And sometimes this is what it happens. And then, sure enough, they run off and go win a Super Bowl. So I'm not going to be the one to doubt Brady. And I'll tell you what, Sunday night, Clay, I don't know what side of that one you were rooting for and what your personal allegiance were between Steelers and Patriots to me. I have nothing at stake. It was two clashes at Titans, and I thought Brady and Gronk were so freaking good on Sunday and so freaking awesome that everyone's talking about the Jesse James catch or no catch or, or you know Ben's decision. I don't care. Brady and Gronk were down eight points with four minutes left, and they single-handedly defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers in their building with their backs against the wall. It is just awesome, awesome stuff to see.
2: No doubt at all. Enjoy the show today and have a good weekend and have a good uh, holiday season here.
1: Clay, you're the man. I appreciate you. I got to go listen to Arian
2: Foster's podcast. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
1: Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying time's here.
3: Stuck to my face. Man, you have a what? this
2: is animal thunderdome did you guys find stories i'm not sure but i wanted to hit this before i, I thought this was totally made up there is a 512 year old shark living in the north atlantic ocean they might be 500 years old they're not sure this shark is the world's oldest vertebrae that's an animal with a backbone for all you idiots out there it might have been born back in 1505 when what? King Henry VIII was just 14 years old. How in Acor- the world would they know that? Acor- I'm, t- I'm getting to it. It's crazy. According to the journal Science, Greenland area sharks grow at just one centimeter a year. So when they discovered a female shark measuring 18 feet long, they knew the cr- the shark had to be incredibly old. And so they have uh, they have aged this shark. There's a picture of this ancient shark. They used radiocarbon dating to analyze the islands of 28 different sharks. And the oldest one they found out using that radiocarbon analysis was nearly 400 years old. So this radiocarbon dating is saying that this shark is between either... This is a big range, but it's still insane to know that it's this old. Between 272 and 512 years old. Oldest living vertebrae. How unbelievable is that? Damn! It is a, a shark-infested morning. What else you uh, got? Coop has a shark story. Yeah, hit me with it.
4: That's right. Uh, I have a, uh, and this is accompanied with some audio. It's actually a, uh, a young woman who was on a, her honeymoon in the Caribbean, and she was bitten by what is called a nurse shark, Now, this is her story. She said, "Mid snorkeling with the sharks, I felt a whoosh of water. Something clamped down on my arm, and assumed my husband was playing a prank on me. Less than a second later, I realized how much it hurt. Looked past where my goggles were blocking my side vision to see the shark latched onto my arm. She pulled away, and the combination of the shark releasing and got out of there. Now, apparently, a this is a five-foot nurse shark, and they typically never bite unless provoked." Via tail pulling or feeding, etc. Sure, but there was there was none of that at least not in the the video. And here you can uh, you can hear it uh, happen here. Take a listen. Very good looking woman, by the way.
2: I need to see the video then. <laughs> So who's recording this? The husband? Yes. <laughs> so her, her the honey on the honeymoon the wife got bit by a shark and the husband was recording it? Yes. And this is a hot woman getting bit by a shark?
4: Yes, she has nice assets.
2: <laughs> That's what I'm doing during the break. All right, we need to tweet out that video. A woman gets bit by a shark, husband films it. That's probably not a great way to start your honeymoon. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. We opened up the show talking about... uh, a lot of different uh, football-related issues. I'd encourage you to go download the podcast, search out OutKick. Millions of you every month now downloading the OutKick podcast. I appreciate you for spreading the word about the show. Uh, And again, we started off by saying we're now on in Indianapolis, 97.5 and I believe 12.60. Appreciate uh, the addition of the city of Indianapolis and all of you who are listening to us this morning up there. But what is is wild to me um, is the degree to which politics and sports continue to inter intersect and much of that i think is because ESPN as the leader of the worldwide leader in sports media has decided to go incredibly left wing and this is something that i focus on not because i'm bothered necessarily by the intersection of sports and politics just that if you intersect sports and politics you should have to be middle of the road You should have to have at least as many people who have conservative beliefs as have liberal beliefs, and kind of as a background. Kurt Schilling got fired at ESPN for saying that he thought the North Carolina transgender bathroom bill, as it was presently constituted, made sense, that the whole controversy was stupid, but that he didn't want guys going into girls' bathrooms dressed up as girls. Um, And so whether you agree or disagree with him, He posted about that on his private Facebook page. And ESPN fired him for it. And at that point in time, they basically let it be known that so long as you have a liberal political opinion, you have the right to continue to make millions of dollars from ESPN. But if you happen to have conservative political opinions, then they're going to fire you. And I think this has been a story that has played out again and again and again at ESPN. And back earlier in the football season, Jamel Hill went on Twitter and said that Donald Trump was a white supremacist. And ESPN said that was inappropriate and she shouldn't have said it. And then yesterday, a bunch of you started sending me this because she went on Arian Foster's podcast. Now, Arian Foster, I wrote a great deal about when my second book was published on Rocky Top. I like he and his family. Arian Foster is an interesting, creative thinker. He doesn't always have the opinion that you would expect for an athlete to have, and so uh, that to me is uh, is always a positive thing, right? I'm a First Amendment absolutist, so I think you should be able to say whatever you believe. And Arian Foster has always had interesting thoughts and uh, and not cliched opinions on a variety of different subjects. So I find him intriguing to uh, to interview when I was writing my book, and I also thought he was interesting. Uh, to talk to during that entire process I haven't talked to him a great deal since obviously he had a lot of success in the NFL he's now retired and he's gotten in the podcast game and he had Jamel Hill on his podcast and a bunch of you started sending this to me yesterday saying hey have you heard Jamel Hill is taking shots at you and she also is doubling tripling quadrupling and quintupling down on calling the President of the United States a white supremacist. So this is what she said yesterday, at least when I saw it. I'm not sure the exact day that this came out on Arian Foster's podcast. Now, uh, before I play you this audio, Arian Foster's already reached out to me. We're going to try to have him on the show here at some point soon. And also, I've agreed to go on his podcast. I don't run from people who have different opinions than me. I'm happy to talk about them. And uh, and uh, I used to th- think I had a pretty good relationship with Jamel Hill, but obviously that's no longer the case. She's blocked me on Twitter, and she refuses to even say my name out loud if you listen to this clip. So let's play it for you.
3: So um, he and I are going back and forth, and then I just said, you know, what I thought to be – I thought everybody <laughs> knew. I, I thought, you know, I was saying water was wet. Like, I didn't think I was saying anything. Which is a
4: debate in itself. <laughs> we'll get into that later
3: i didn't think i was saying anything that was shocking it had been said before and unfortunately um those you know people they comb through your replies now yeah, right 100 like big time so people and especially one person in particular who you know <laughs> is 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 kind of drumming this anti-espn liberal espN banging that drum All right that was like catnip to, for him, right? <laughs> catnip. I was like, and I refuse to say his name because he, he don't deserve the publicity. At any rate. 100.
2: So that's the, uh, that's the first part. Um, and so Jamel Hill refuses to say my name, which, I mean, again, I, I don't know why me pointing out that she had called the president a white supremacist means that I'm combing through her mentions. My mentions blew up from you guys out there who can always find me on Twitter at Clay Travis. And your position was, wow. That's a pretty aggressive comment to call the president a white supremacist. I'll play that audio for you again because I don't think I did a great job leading into it. This is Arian Foster asked her about what it was like to be uh, talking about like the the, the media uproar that ensued when she called the president a white supremacist. And this is Jamel Hill basically saying uh, that she didn't think it was that controversial of a statement to have because she thought everybody knew. That he was a white supremacist. That is, that Donald Trump was a white supremacist. This is a, a really aggressive attack, and to me, this is evidence of how so often in American society today. I think you're probably going to notice it around Christmas table, uh, around the holidays with your family. People tend to group themselves and surround themselves with have the who people who have the exact same opinions as them, right? And so I think social media makes this worse. Maybe I'm unique in that when I sit down uh, for my Christmas dinner, about half the people that are in my family will have voted for Donald Trump and about half the people will have voted for Hillary Clinton. We live in a 50-50 country, but I think very often we don't interact with people who have different opinions than ours now. And so we can end up in situations like Jamel Hill here where Jamel Hill feels comfortable saying, I thought everybody knew. That Donald Trump was a white supremacist. I didn't think that was controversial. She says, I thought everybody knew. I thought water was wet. I didn't think I was saying anything that was shocking. It, Mrs. Trump being a white supremacist, had been said before. And unfortunately, people comb through your replies now, and especially one person in particular. Hi, that's me. I'm list- You're listening to him right now. My name's Clay Travis, who you know is kind of drumming this anti- ESPN liberal bias banging that drum that was like catnip for him right catnip and I refuse to say his name because he don't deserve the publicity then Arian Foster chimed in 100 we ain't going to bring him up so next thing you know it's fully blown up and of course it got ESPN's attention Uh, and then she was asked will you take it back about saying that he's a white supremacist she says I said what I said and I don't take it back like, I ain't getting a retraction. No, I never have, and I never will. And then Arian Foster takes some shots at Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the White House press secretary, saying, she's so trash. I'm going to say it for you. She's so trashy. Um, and then Jamel Hill, and I think we're going to play this audio for you eventually. Obviously, I'm not the only journalist. Okay, she's then they then talk about uh, Donald Trump attacking her, which I want to get to in a minute. But first, let's play this audio. This is Jamel Hill talking about Donald Trump attacking her. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs>
3: so that was the first explosion, and then once I was suspended, and clearly um, the sitting president took delight in that right. uh, and made that known.
0: Right.
3: Um, and obviously, I'm not the only journalist to have been attacked by him. I mean, he got a of list of people not. that he just like, and they're,
0: most,
2: and they're mostly colored people. So
3: there seems to be a commonality. A, about it. There's definitely a trend. It <laughs> seems to be a commonality about all.
2: So. First of all, then she says that Donald Trump attacked her because she was black. Now, look, this is just not true. And I think it's important. Like, everybody can have opinions, right? Uh, my mom used to say opinions are like butts. Everybody's got one. But Donald Trump has feuded with reporters of every color, <laughs> right? The guy has gone off, gone after reporters everywhere. Ask uh, what happened with Joe Scarborough. Ask what happened with Joe Scarborough's wife, Mika Brzezinski. Um, Look at what happened with Megyn Kelly, white woman. Look at what's happened with Jim Acosta. All these different guys. Like you can criticize Donald Trump for many things. Okay, I think saying that he only feuds with with reporters of color is flat out untrue. Okay, that's in that's if you use a Donald Trump term. That is fake news. Okay, and that's Arian Foster on his podcast talking with Jamel Hill. And I want to play you the first clip again. This is Jamel Hill saying that she stands by calling Donald Trump a white supremacist and that she thought everybody knew he was a white supremacist. Listen to this.
3: So um, he and I are going back and forth, and then I just said, you know, what I thought to be – I thought everybody knew. I I thought, you know, I was saying water was wet. Like, I didn't think I was saying anything. Which is
4: a debate in itself. (laughs) We'll get into that later.
3: I didn't think I was saying anything that was shocking. It had been said before – and unfortunately, um, those you know people they comb through your replies now, yeah, right? 100 percent, like big time. So people, and especially one person in particular, who you know <laughs> is 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 kind of drumming this anti-ESPN liberal ESPN banging that drum. Right. That was like catnip to, for him, right? <laughs> catnip. <laughs> I was like, and I refuse to say his name because he don't deserve he don't deserve the publicity at any rate. One hundred. We ain't gonna we ain't gonna.
2: We ain't going to bring him up. That's what Arian Foster says. That's me that they're talking about. So I think this is pretty crazy that ESPN allows uh, one of their top people to go on and accuse the president of the United States of being a white supremacist Um, when they have set the standard that if Kurt Schilling says that he disagrees with the North Carolina transgender issue one way or the other on a conservative perspective, he's fired. Calling somebody a white supremacist if you are a person of color is literally one of the most offensive things you can say about somebody, especially when, again, there are many things I think you can criticize Donald Trump for. Being a white supremacist doesn't seem like one of them to me. The guy has a Jewish daughter. He has Jewish grandchildren. How many people who are white supremacists have Jewish daughters and Jewish grandchildren? How many of them have the highest ranking, uh, one of the highest ranking people in the White House be their Jewish son-in-law? Donald Trump is not a white supremacist. He's a supremacist. He believes that he is better than everybody else at everything. He's a Trump supremacist. He thinks he's better than other white people. He thinks he's better than other black people. He thinks he's better than other... Black Asian people. He thinks he's better than other Hispanic people. And guess what? So does just about everybody else who's ever run for president. If you are going to decide that you are the greatest leader that this entire country of 325 million people could have, you probably have a pretty healthy regard for yourself. Your self-confidence is not really in question if you decide that of everybody that exists in this country right now and is a citizen— you are the best leader we could have. That's not something that somebody who doesn't have a lot of self-confidence decides to do. You believe by your very nature that you are better as a leader than anybody else. And so whether you're Barack Obama, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, or anybody else who ran for president and lost, you have a healthy degree of self-regard for yourself because you believe that you should have the nuclear codes. You believe that you should have to negotiate every serious issue that exists. Look at what Donald Trump says. He is a supremacist of the highest magnitude, but not a white supremacist. That's an unfair, I think, accusation, as is the accusation that he only feuds with, col- or with reporters of color. And I think that if ESPN has set the sa- standard, just last week they said, our guys and girls don't need to be talking about politics because we're not an expert on it. How in the world... Can Jamel Hill be allowed to call the president a white supremacist and say everything that she just said on Arian Foster's podcast? And Kurt Schilling can't have his opinion about uh, transgender North Carolina controversies. I'm going to bring in my crew. I'm also going to open up the phone lines 877 996 6369. Guys, are you with me here? This seems like uh, a bridge too far for somebody who makes a living at ESPN, given... I mean, do you guys agree with me that there's a different standard for left-wing and liberal thought for sports commentators than there is for conservative thought? It's been seeming that way. The one thing I would say, and I don't have anything against Jamel Hill, but, like, she needs to say your name. I mean, you, you say her name, so if she wants to get in the ring, then just, you know... What's the... That whole thing about, oh, that person doesn't even deserve
0: publicity, that's weak, in my opinion,
2: Right. If you're going to attack somebody, use their name. Yeah, exactly. And and I don't even know what she would attack me for, frankly. I mean, she's upset that I I retweeted that she called the president a white supremacist. Like, she's the one who said it. And is she upset with me now because she went on Arian Foster's podcast and said it again to Arian Foster's credit as soon as I posted this on OutKick. And you can go listen to the entire context of the interview. I put up the whole 13-minute segment uh, that Arian Foster shared. Arian Foster reached out and said, Hey, you want to come on the podcast and talk about this? I said sure you know I don't run from people I disagree with and and frankly I thought I had a good friendship with Jamel Hill before I think she went off the reservation um I have uh had her on my shows uh over the last six or seven years multiple times I think she's a good guest I think she's smart we have different opinions on a lot of different issues but I say her name you know I respect the fact that she has what I think are wrong opinions but I attribute them to her so when she says uh you know it's uh i that uh, what she say i refuse to say his name cuz he don't deserve the publicity first of all everybody knows who i am at this point in time when you're saying that everybody knows who you're talking about so i just think that's a weak move i think that is a uh, that's the, the move of a coward and frankly i think calling somebody you don't know a white supremacist is the move of a coward too because i think there are lots of things you can attack donald trump on that you disagree with him politically on i think using your forum as an ESPN employee to go after the president of the United States. And by the way, she said he attacked her. He did not attack her. He just responded to her. Like a lesson in semantics here. If somebody, uh, you attack somebody, like if Jamel Hill called the president unprompted a white supremacist, and eventually after she was suspended, he fired back and said, the reason why ESPN's ratings are tanking is because of people like Jamel Hill and their uh, untruths or something like that. I don't remember what his exact tweet was. That's not attacking you. That's responding to your attack. An attack, to me, is unprovoked. When the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, that was an attack. The American response to the, the bombing of uh, the Pearl Harbor was not an attack. It was a response. If somebody walks up and punches you, that's an attack. Your counterpunch is a defense There's a difference between an attack and a defense, and oftentimes it's lost, and people want to say, oh, the president attacked Jamel Hill. No, he didn't. He responded much lighter than she did to this controversy. I'm opening up the phone lines. Justin, you disagree with me on a lot of things. Am I wrong here? Is this pretty crazy for her to step into right now, especially, by the way, when the president of ESPN just got fired, when they just said last week, we're going to avoid talking about politics? And... When she knows that it's controversial to say about the sitting president of the United States, he's a white supremacist.
4: I will say that it's weird for her to get back into it after all of the, the backlash and the, the hoopla that surrounded the, the first time that she said it. So uh, I do find that part kind of weird. Strange.
3: oh. oh, oh.